0: Well, g'day. My name is Paul Matthews. Welcome to the Year 9 History Classroom at Calvin Christian School in Hobart, Tasmania.
1: Welcome to another two days in God's story. It's morning for Paul in Australia and evening, well, actually afternoon for us here in Canada. It's our third international episode of the Every Square Centimeter podcast, a project of Christian Schools Canada. Once again, Every Square Centimeter is going global, and we are pumped as we travel to Tasmania, Australia, celebrating and finding international inspiration in the people, places, and practices in Christian education. In our last stop on our virtual tour of Canada, we spent time at Academia Stella Maris in Nemoge, Ontario with Stephanie Montojo. As we learned, close enough, right, guys? I think I did it, Justin. Stephanie, I'm sorry if I butchered your name. We love you. Monto- Montoho is better. I'm sorry. I had to add an oi in there. Here's what we learned, Stephanie. That's, this is the most important part. We learned that warm June evenings bring about wonderful childhood memories. We learned that celebrations of learning in June can help emphasize students and teachers' own experience in learning and de-emphasize the story of grades and report cards at the end of a year. We learned that Canada didn't become bilingual until 1969 and Ontario actually didn't officially recognize the use of French until 1984. We learned Stephanie's own background as a Franco-Ontarian also included discrimination because French was her first language. And uh, we learned that Academia Stella Maris can be said ASM and that was easier for Jeremy. And we learned that ASM is a bilingual hybrid school program where students also, take a customized curriculum which is co designed by the school and parents, catering to their ability level for each subject. And after the episode, uh, Stephanie emailed us and just said, Hey, I'm pretty excited about our name and what it means. And she said, If there's any way to include that in the, the episode notes um, or description, that would be great. And so uh, we thought we'd just share that with, with our guests right now. So she says that their mission is to bring children to Christ. So Stella Maris means star of the sea in Latin. Catholics see Mary as the star of the sea who points the way to her son, just like sailors would use the stars for direction as we look to Mary for direction to Jesus. And uh, she goes on to say, Jesus expected Peter to not doubt and to keep his eyes on him in the midst of the agitated sea. Our Lord is also asking us to not doubt his infinite mercy and love and to keep our eyes on him through the trials of life. Mary points us to this truth in that she most perfectly reflects God's love and directs us back to him. As star of the sea, Mary points to her son and advises us to keep faith and to follow him always. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. John 2 verse 5. We loved connecting with Stephanie, so go and listen and tell other educators about it. But today, we're in Hobart, Tasmania. Is it Horbart or Hobart, Paul? Am I even getting the name
0: right? Well, you've minced it in a couple of different directions, to be <laughs> <Yeah>. honest, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do it right at some point. So, uh, I mean, there's the pronunciation. There's also our accent. So, you've got to take that into account. If you say, I- you just ho, H-O, and then B, and then imagine like five A's in a row, like hobart. Hobart. So, hobart. If you have a, a pretty flat A sound and just end with a T, hobart. Hobart. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there we'll get there that's alright hey I never did on other ones so no worries
1: uh, so I'm gonna add to the challenge of this by saying if I'm from Hobart am I a Hobartian mob? what would I be called?
0: you're actually not too far off to be honest Jeremy uh, so we we would call ourselves Hobartians
1: Hobartian. that makes that's even easier for me so a Hobartian mob yeah And we're going to start off with a name segment. My name is Jeremy Horlings from the Prairie Center for Christian Education, or PCCE. And alongside me from the Society of Christian Schools in British Columbia, or SESBC, is Mr. I didn't notice the Daisy Dukes, Darren Speaks Mob. Hey, Mob. Hey. Hey, Darren. Darren? Darren, prompt today what's your favorite outdoor pursuit?
2: I would say my favorite outdoor pursuit has changed. My initial favorite outdoor pursuit always would have been fishing. And then when I moved to the lower mainland, there are just so many people fishing that it's just no fun anymore. So <laughs> I have now taken up golf, something Jamie and I have taken up together once the kids are out of the house and it has been fun to learn something new together.
3: Look at you empty nester. Nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And have you either of you played much before this, Darren? No, that is a tough sport to pick up.
2: Yes, it is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good for you two for doing it together. Uh, from advance in eastern Canada, we have a guy who Tom Hanks specifically shouted out Justin Cook. Hey,
3: Canada and Tasmania. Oh, Oh, Canada.
1: Canada and Tasmania, Justin. What's your favorite outdoor pursuit?
3: Well, I'm still stuck on fishing, Darren. Uh, I have been loving, so my son can't get enough of um, uh, backcountry camping. So we just actually were two days backcountry canoeing back in the Kawartha Highlands where we've been a while back. And we went with another friend and uh, a friend of mine and his son who's Levi's age, a friend of Levi's, which was awesome. So the four of us had an amazing time. And two quick stories. One is, uh, I so my son, I think, is angling towards some kind of uh, environmental career. He just loves being outside. He loves conservation. And the the other boy, not to throw him under the bus or anything, but he wanted to catch a frog to use as bait to fish. I think that's appropriate. But my son, <laughs> Levi, who's going into grade nine, came to me and said, Dad, would you use a live frog as bait? I'm like, probably not, Levi. And uh, he's like, why not? Like, what? hes you could just see him wrestling, right? And I'm like, well, I don't yeah, feel yeah. it's necessary to kill a frog to catch a fish. He was just like, that's it. You do not need to kill a frog to catch a fish. And he just ran back to the buddy and was like, let him go. Let him, you do not need to kill a frog to catch a fish. I was like, wow, I really nailed it on that one. I was feeling so good about myself. And then just oh, one cool. other story. So I go to work today. My colleague, Victoria, is – like she's like, Oh, you went fishing. I I got a fishing picture for you. She shows me a picture of her husband who had caught the hugest muskie I have ever seen. This thing's probably like four feet long. I kid you not. And I was like, what was he using to catch that thing? He's like, Oh no. She said, well, he was actually fishing for bass and caught a bass. And as he was bringing in the bass, a muskie hit the bass
0: and he managed
3: to land the muskie. So, sometimes it's necessary to kill a bass to catch a muskie i've learned
1: (laughs) wow very good today we're joined by our third international guest on the podcast paul matthews good day mate
0: good night gentlemen how's it going hey paul great
1: so good to have you paul paul what's your favorite outdoor pursuit
0: well, look, uh, let me preface this by saying that it's very fresh. It's very cold down here in Tasmania, much like Canada. So, I, um, I brought something along to keep me warm while we record. So, I'll get to my outdoor oh, nice. pursuit. Uh, however, <laughs> I want to tell you something, gentlemen, and you can explain to the listeners what I've, what I've done here. I've got something that there's only one of in Australia. In fact, <laughs> wow. there, may, there, may, there may be as many as five, but I think there's only one of in all of Australia. So, you have to tell me. What you think about
2: this? <laughs> yes.
1: Oh <Beautiful>. yes. <laughs> oh, what, what listeners? What we are seeing is one of the most spectacular sights <laughs> we have seen. It is a what we call a toque. What would you call that, Paul? We you, call it a beanie. A beanie. Okay. Oh, nice. We call it toque uh, with a beautiful every square centimeter logo right on the front of it, and proudly wearing it. And messed up a what I your hair was rocking it today, and you're willing to mess it up at 6 a.m. in the morning. We appreciate that.
0: Well, I'm just dedicated to the cause, gentlemen. So I was very, very <laughs> happy when my dad came back from Canada and gave me this beanie. Uh, as As far as my outdoor pursuit is concerned, I, like Darren, actually, I've recently started playing a bit of golf. My old man used to play, so he used to haul us. and uh, So I've got three younger brothers. He used to haul us around the local nine hole. But we've all it's had a bit of a renaissance in the Matthews family, golf. And my brother, nice. one of my younger brothers recently turned 30, so we all headed out to this world-class course in in Tasmania called Barn Boogle and I got some very good advice actually on the course and this might work for you too, Darren. I was playing with a, a real veteran, a seasoned campaigner and I was getting pretty chafed with myself. I was not happy uh, and, he, and he looks at me and he goes, son, you're just not good enough to get angry at the game of golf. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can put that one in your back pocket next time you're like out on the, on the course, Darren. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, I would also like to just forward that to my dad, who listens to the podcast as well. Dad, you're just not good at, at <laughs> golf enough. Get, good enough at golf to get, be mad at it. Uh, love that. Uh, well, I I actually put you know outdoor pursuits into a few categories and eliminated some of them. So, for example, like extreme air sports, not my thing. Uh, mountain climbing, we I think I've talked about it on previous episodes. Not good with heights. Uh, ocean not great with ocean especially deep dark ocean so uh what i i got narrowed down to rivers so i i'm quite comfortable i think growing up in northern bc on rivers and so i think the idea of fishing you guys have already mentioned um even uh whitewater rafting i don't know if you guys have done i i I don't do it enough because uh it seems to be quite costly but when i do it i love it uh we often go down to the river by our house, go fishing, go swimming in the river, and we do some river floats and red deer. So I would say anything to do with rivers uh, would be my, my comfort zone. So Thanks. For the second half of our opening square, we have our host choose from a variety of segments that all rhyme with aim. And today, Paul has chosen the segment. Paul, would you give try to give us a drum roll? <laughs> Game. <laughs> Woo! I think that was an air drum roll. <laughs> All right, for our game today, uh, we're going to try something inspired by uh, a current Twitter uh, thread that's basically taking, it's called Battle of the Beasts. Um, And so what I've done is I've created a Canada versus Australia bracket. So Canada bracket versus Australia bracket. And the uniqueness of this, you've seen these books. My boys love bringing these books home from school where they will, you know, kind of what's the most dangerous animal. And they will have these one-on-one battles or wasp versus honeybee. And Except for in this one, all the animals, um, we, we will add up as many animals of that type till we get to 1,000 pounds. Okay, so it's not gonna be one polar bear versus one raccoon. Okay, it's gonna be one polar bear, which is about 1,000 pounds versus 50 raccoons. Okay, and we're gonna try to figure out what would be the hardest, what would be the, 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 the best beasts or beasts. To, and we'll, we'll do Canadian versus Australia. In the end, we'll have a final. Okay. So Darren and Justin, you're going to represent the Canadian bracket. Talk it out. And the first one we have here is one polar bear versus five bucks or five male deer. Okay. Darren, Justin, where are we going with this one?
2: Clarifying question. Is this which one would we rather face or if they fought each other?
1: They're fighting each other. Okay. And you need to come up with an animal that's good. Like So in the end, listeners, it's going to be a Canadian beast or beasts versus an Australian beast or beast. So you're going to have, what What do you want representing the Canadian beasts to take over? And I imagine these are fighting in a school gymnasium. Okay, that's because <laughs> I think the arena matters. So how about a school gymnasium as the fighting yes, very, space? That's
2: very okay. important. I like that clarifying uh, yeah. detail.
3: That changes yeah, everything. What's Darren? that? I said that changes everything. I mean... It does. I think it does. But... This first one, I'm thinking polar bear. Like they're crazy, hundred percent. And plus the the five bucks, they're they're on a shiny, smooth floor. They're like scrambling everywhere. They're just sitting ducks. That is a good point. That is a good point. Okay,
1: so uh, polar bears moving on from the uh, Canadian one. Uh, Paul, we have in the Australian bracket, and I I'm not, because I almost said uh, the name of the city correctly. I I'm now almost a resident Tasmanian. Uh, Hobartian well, resident. I, yeah, yeah. Our Hobartian. <laughs> Uh So, uh, fifty Tasmanian devils versus a hundred echidnas. Who's coming out on top? Do you want to just describe maybe a little bit of to a listener wh- what a Tasmanian devil might even maybe even look like, or?
0: Sure, sure. So they're actually pretty small. Think about like a small dog, but it's got okay. the highest pound per square inch jaw force out of oh, any okay. animal in the world. So you do not want to oh, let those okay. things. Uh, get a hold of you and it's really good that you would tell us that the, the, the arena is the school gym because we actually do keep 50 Tasmanian devils in our school gym and one time <laughs> they got out and it was absolutely nuts uh, I think I think our principal was doing paperwork for weeks on that one uh, <laughs> look, but to answer your question Jeremy I don't know how much you know about echidnas their main form of defense is burrowing so you really, I mean, the whole battlefield is set against them, isn't it? They're going to be trying okay. to burrow through the hardwood floor and they're going to be smoked pretty quickly by our uh, 50 Tasmanian Devils.
1: Good to know. Uh, I, Paul, I actually know, I, I only know a little bit about Echidnas, but I know far too much about Echidnas. And that's a, that's a little inside joke for listeners and for uh, our, another guest from Australia. So I'll leave that there. All right. So uh, Tasmanian Devils, 50 Tasmanian Devils are moving on. Back to the Canadian bracket: two grizzly bears versus fifty raccoons. Darren, Justin, we got two grizzly bears in that gym. We got fifty raccoons. Who's coming out on top? I'm sticking
3: with the bears, Darren.
2: I I think so too. Like especially, you know, I imagine two bears butt to butt facing the raccoons as they come. The bears are winning. Those
3: raccoons are just flying everywhere at that point. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're going- we're, not, we're not. Yeah. We're not
1: talking about a. A bear-sized raccoon versus a right, ra- right. like the, you know, yeah. We're t- okay. So go moving on. Excellent. Back to the Australian bracket, Paul. We have ten kangaroos versus two hundred tiger snakes. Now, I just did a little bit of research. Tiger snakes, I think, are the largest snake in Tasmania. Is that? Does that sound right? Do you know of a tiger snake? Tell me about these tiger snakes.
0: Well, look, I don't know one personally, Jeremy, but I do know <laughs> of them. And okay. they're one of the deadliest snakes in the world, right? So they can really muck you around. And for this one, I've got to tell you, I think I'm going to go with the tiger snakes. I just can't see the kangaroos getting a knockout punch. Like they, they jump okay. around, they probably squash a few, but I really think yeah. if a tiger snake gets a hold of you, you're in big trouble.
1: Yeah. This is the hard thing about Canadian creating the Australian bracket. There are a lot of deadly animals in Australia that are poisonous and small, and I just thought, you know, 100,000 spiders uh, was a tough (laughs) thing to wrap our heads around. (laughs) So I kind of kept it to some bigger animals uh, to go with this. Okay, so we got tiger snakes moving on. All right, uh, five. So back to the Canadian bracket. Five mountain lions versus 30 coyotes.
2: This gets tougher, but I... I'm going mountain
1: lions. Cats versus dogs. I
3: was on the fence.
2: I'm I'm happy
1: to go lions. Okay. Yeah, I think. All right.
2: Large cats versus small dogs. Large cats are going to win. Okay.
1: Let's keep going. Uh, Paul backed us. One saltwater crocodile versus 75 red foxes. And I believe the red fox is a specific only in Australia, I believe. So the red fox. Or the only fox
0: in Australia. That's right. In fact, yeah, we tried pretty hard to get rid of uh, foxes and all those sorts of things for quite a while. I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes, yeah, simply because of the environment. We're going to go. Oh, the, see, the the X factor here is could the red foxes get their teeth into the saltwater croc? Because if yeah, they couldn't, they're, they're toast. They're absolutely toast. It, it would sure take the saltwater croc a while to get through seventy five red foxes. <laughs> Like, yeah. there'd probably be a, a bit of a siesta in there somewhere, but it would depend. I'm going to say, yeah, they probably can sink their teeth in, so I'm going to go with the yeah. foxes. Okay.
1: Sorry, with the with the foxes. Okay. Uh, I'm looking ahead to the, the, you know, moving against the Canadian bracket, and the saltwater crocodile, I think, would be a formidable force against one of their bigger animals, but I, I do think the amount of foxes is, is tricky, so uh, I like where your head's up. Uh, gentlemen, last one in the cane bracket: one bison versus forty wolverines.
2: I've never actually um, interacted with either of these personally, other than from a distance. But wolverines are nasty, so I my my choice would be yeah, wolverines. I think they might give the Tasmanian devil a run for their money. Wolverines.
3: I mean the you know the occasional Yellowstone tourist gets in big trouble with a yeah. bison. Probably appropriately so, I'm assuming. But uh, yeah. I, I'm with you, Jeremy. Uh, uh, Darren, I'm going Wolverines as well on this one.
2: Especially 40. 40 of those suckers. Yeah,
3: And whoever the, the –
1: if he's if he's a bad guy, the PR guy for the Wolverine is doing really well because I also haven't met one. I don't know of anyone that has, but, man, everyone that you talk to says they're they're vicious. So, All right, last one in the Australian bracket, 200 Tiger qual. And we might need some explanation on what a qual is, uh, Paula, and – Versus 500 gray headed flying fox. So maybe start with a qual. Can you tell us what a qual is?
0: Well, if ever there was a bracket which was a, uh, a very stoppable <laughs> force versus a very movable object, it is this. This has got to be one of the, like we, tiger quals, we make small chocolate quals and give them out at Easter time. They are one of the most harmless things. I don't even think they have any offensive. Capacity, is it like a hedgehog,
1: <laughs> like our chocolate hedgehogs? Yeah. maybe I wonder if that's the equivalent. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and the the flying foxes are basically like a small lizard with skin that just jettisons itself out of trees. So I, I think I'm almost ruling this a no contest because I think there is absolutely no chance either of those ends up in the final. But well, I mean, we just probably have to go. We'll, we'll go with a we'll go with the 500 flying foxes simply yeah. because they just have a numerical advantage. But that, that would be a bit of a snooze fest. That would not be an interesting fight to watch. <laughs>
1: well, I'll say this. It would be a nightmare for me because those they are a bat basically, right? And with a meter, I believe the wingspan is a meter. So they're the biggest bats in Australia or the biggest bats in the world. They're, they are massive. And so maybe they won't fight, but just just seeing them, I think I would be running out of the gymnasium. So, all right, moving on to round two moving along here we have now in the canadian bracket polar bear versus grizzlies two so we have sorry one polar bear or two grizzly bears
2: if it was one polar bear versus one grizzly i'd say the polar bear wins because that it happens and the polar bear wins <laughs> but the two grizzlies um i i'm i think i'm picking the two okay. grizzlies yeah right, I you, agree.
1: totally agree. okay two grizzly bears moving on uh Tasmanian devils, fifty Tasmanian devils versus two hundred tiger snakes. Paul,
0: look, I'm going to go with the tiger snakes, and just to foreshadow this a little bit, Jeremy, I'm pretty sure I'm taking them all the way. Okay. <laughs>
1: well, uh, I like that because we're you've already you know hedged your bet and told the guys what to what what's coming at them, right? The Canadian bracket. Here's what's coming your way. We got two hundred tiger snakes in that gymnasium. Uh, sounds like, gentlemen, we got what five mountain lions versus 40 Wolverines knowing the snakes are coming. Is there something you want to go for there? Ooh.
3: Well, let first of all, lions. first of all, Jeremy, we're men of integrity. We're not willing to throw a bracket. No one is throwing a match here just because of a future opponent. Okay. okay. I mean, okay. I, so you I will see say, this head to head. Well, it, it is truly survival of the fittest. I think we're playing here. And uh, by the way, little side note, Charles Darwin has visited Hobart. So, oh. uh, yeah there's okay save that for a little, the history a little later, teaser but, for later yeah yeah five
1: mountain lions 40 wolverines
3: gentlemen I think I'm going quantity again Darren for, 40, yeah, wolverines. 40 wolverines 40 and, wolverines yeah especially if we know the snakes just so, so really you know realized. the snakes are
1: already the snakes are already entering the gym so we're going to go right back to you gentlemen <laughs> we have two grizzly bears and 40 wolverines what's coming out of there I Mm-hmm. This is tough. This is tough. If listener, if so you could see they the 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 grimace I, I'm going the Wolverines on this one on these faces. Wolverines, it is. I'm going Wolverines. Yeah. Now,
0: I, was re- I was really, I was really hoping is- you wouldn't do that, gentlemen. I was really hoping you would go with the two Grizzlies because <laughs> I think it, in my pregame hype talk with my tiger snakes i just go you, you 500 <laughs> you go for that one bear and you yeah. other 500 snakes go for that other bear and i reckon we could have taken you i'm not sure about got the 40 it. wolverines yeah
1: our ratios have, have gotten closer now there's a certain type of animal i think it's a a certain badger that's immune to certain poisons oh. snake poisons i believe or, or is it there's a certain animal like that i don't think it's the wolverine though so unfortunately i think the Wolverine's going to have to deal with it
0: I should, say, I should say though, Jeremy, a little known local fact about the tiger snakes, they are immune to wolverine bites. So that's oh, interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Didn't see that coming. Uh, I don't think the gentleman from Canada saw that coming either. So that's, 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 you can see that's throwing them. Uh, all right. It's, listeners, it's coming down to 40 wolverines or 200 tiger snakes. We would love for you to do your research and let us know who would win the Australian bracket. Two hundred tiger snakes, I believe, quite venomous, right, Paul? That's we've, and apparently, they do not get affected. They're not affected by wolverine bites. <laughs>
0: Completely uh, immune. Yeah,
1: immune. To, uh, gentlemen, any any arguments for the forty wolverines? Are they? There's. St- I got nothing.
2: <laughs> not the- I, Paul, Paul's so funny <laughs> that I got nothing.
1: All right, well, listeners, uh, uh, I did not see those two coming out, so that was uh, interesting. Thanks, guys, so much for playing. We're gonna. Uh, turn our attention now to the place uh, where we start to talk about the people and places in, in Christian education. But before we do, here's a word from our sponsor.
3: Hi, everyone. My name is Lori and I'm the School Relationship Manager at Edudeo Ministries. As you look forward to a new school year, I want to encourage you to partner with us to give your students a more global perspective. You could invite me to speak to your students participate in the Edudeo Go! School Edition fundraiser, or support our annual campaign. You'll find more information about all of these by visiting www.edudeo.com backslash schools. Together, let's give more students in the majority world the opportunity for a Christ-centered education.
1: As we heard at the start, we're being hosted by Paul, who lives in Hobart, Tasmania, Australia. Justin, can you tell us a little bit about... This magical place.
3: Well, we've heard some of uh, the the dangerous aspects of it, and <laughs> Dar- Darwin visiting feels ominous now, all of a sudden. But yeah, thanks for welcoming us, Paul. I did a little bit of work, uh, just a little bit of history on <clears throat> Hobart, and and it was pretty awesome to dive into that. Uh, I also appreciate the government uh, has a website just offering some uh, an extension of land acknowledgement that I think actually is. Quite a bit better than what I think we often do, even on this podcast, as a bit of a token gesture. Um, they, they describe what they call a welcome to country um, as, as a, a secondary aspect of uh, kind of recognizing place and also um, indigeneity. So the government says this about it. Only Tasmanian Aboriginal people welcome people to Tasmanian Aboriginal land. It's highly disrespectful for anyone else to do so. And a welcome to country may involve meaningful words from a Tasmanian Aboriginal elder or community person, short history of the people in the area, or storytelling, singing, dancing, a smoking ceremony, or an Aboriginal ceremony. And then they define country, the the capital C, country, this way, Tasmanian Aboriginal people have a distinctive and respectful connection to their lands, waterways, and seas, including all living beings on country. They are the traditional owners and custodians with obligations and responsibilities to country. When an Aboriginal person talks of country, this encompasses the land, waterways and sea, but also cultural practices, knowledges and the cultural environment. And then they they do also talk about acknowledgements and they offer this as a suggestion. Uh, so here, here's an acknowledgement that I offer. Uh, I pay respect to the traditional and original owners of this land, the Muwi people, to pay respect to those that have passed before us and to acknowledge today's Tasmanian Aboriginal people who are the custodians of this land. And they go on to state that the Mu'i Ninar people had stewarded the area for 35,000 years. And I I just don't think we can wrap our heads around that, frankly, what that actually means to be that good at stewarding in terms of stewarding a land for 35,000 years uh, before they themselves uh, were uh, forced to be extinct due to war and disease from colonization. And I just pause here for a moment to to acknowledge um, extinction. And the loss of country, the loss of, uh, of the Mu'i people and the way that they uh, were stewards for such for millennia um, around uh, Tasmania and the southern tip. There are no descendants of the Mu'i Ninar people living today. So Hobart is located at the southeastern tip of Tasmania at the mouth of the River Derwent, which I'd love to hear a little bit about. Uh, Paul would be a man, and maybe Jeremy too. He's a river guy. So, uh, he, he might appreciate that a little bit more than, what did you call it? The deep sea, Jeremy, uh, deep dark ocean or you had, you had yeah. some kind of,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, let's go with river over deep dark ocean. Yeah. Okay.
3: Gotcha. Uh, although Hobart also has, uh, some of the, yeah. the, the huge wave. what's that called when the big, big wave surfing or whatever, uh, just kind of close to Hobart. That's looked pretty incredible. The photos that I saw of that. <clears throat> uh, but Hobart itself was started in the 1800s as a military and penal colony and British prisoners were shipped to Hobart up until about the 1850s. And I found this interesting. I looked into that a little bit. Um, a sentence of what they call a sentence of transportation rather than execution or other punishment was viewed as an act of leniency or even pardon, uh, a public exhibition of the King's mercy as one website said it. Today, Hobart has a population of just over 200,000. It has the attraction of the ocean to the south, the River Derwent, and Mount Wellington, just inland to the north, which they're talking about building kind of like a sea-to-sky cable car, it looks like, to, to go straight to the, the peak there. Yeah, unless that's already happened. Maybe my website uh, is old.
0: but Fellas, let me tell you, you've just touched on, unwittingly, one of the most uh, sort of political hot potatoes of all time, so there's a lot of people who are up in arms in either direction. So if if or should I say perhaps when you come down to Hobart, you're going to see a lot of bumper stickers that are either pro cable car or anti cable car. And you, if you talk about it, you just about to get your head taken off. So I would um, okay, yeah. So
3: we're we're newbies and neutrals. So uh, you know, for us Canadians, what side of the uh, the
0: debate are you willing to, to to land on? One side of the debate, Paul, or uh, me personally, I just say, look, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I've got bigger fish to fry, fellas. I'm, I'm <laughs> dedicating my mental resources to other areas at this point. Uh,
1: <laughs> uh, speaking of fish to fry, are there any fish in that river that uh, Justin's talking about?
0: Plenty, yeah, plenty of fish.
3: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Hey, Hobart is also the last urban stop before Antarctica, which I thought was pretty cool. So, in terms yeah, of just got, some of
0: the, one of the big employers down here in Hobart is the. Australian Antarctic Division. So this is where a lot of people, even international ships who are heading down to Antarctica will swing by. So that's they're a big employer of people down here in southern Tasmania the Antarctic Division.
3: And just in case you're wondering Darren, Antarctica is a continent. I just want to pass that <laughs> on so yeah. Appreciate that. Uh, and last cool fact from Hobart, you can also see not the northern lights but the southern lights. So we here in Canada have Aurora Borealis and Paul you've got
0: Aurora Australis. Am I saying that right? We prefer down here to call it Aurora Hobartius. but um... <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Paul, how did you end up in Hobart? Well, look, I've lived here or around here my whole life. Uh, my ancestors came out from Holland in the 50s. So mm. my story is pretty deeply intertwined with Christian education because it's obviously the same group of people, the same sort of diasporas who went out from Holland in the 50s, settled in North America, Canada, and started schools and churches over there. So, right now, I'm in the first sort of parent-controlled reformed school in Australia. So, this was the very first one, Mm -hmm. Calvin Christian School, and across the road is the very first reformed church in Australia, and it was the Dutch migrants who came here settled and really just started hustling a lot of them were blue collar so they were Mm. builders they were tradesmen and that's my that's that's part of my story right so my my alma which is dutch for my grandma she lives just down the road we've lived here basically my whole life so i feel a very i mean we talked about place and connection to land i feel very very connected to this this part of the world and Mm. also this school like in in our principal's office there's the original covenant so Christian Education National is the big peak body that all of these sorts of schools are connected to. There's the original covenant that was drawn up for Christian Education National in our principal's office and and my my Alma and Alper have their signatures on that uh, covenant. So, yeah, look, it, it's a place that I feel very deeply connected to. Mm.
1: Paul, if I'm a Canadian teacher and I'm thinking – this sounds like a pretty cool place to maybe go teach out or check out. What what would be some of the draws? Tell me about maybe your school or the community that you would you would draw
0: people in. Well, let me tell you this, Jeremy. You have lobbed me a big old softball there because my podcast, the Christian Education Podcast, is actually sponsored by a mob called teachintassie.com. And they're actually trying to get people to come down to Tassie. And I think I'm ambivalent about having them as a sponsor of the podcast because, yes, I, I believe Christian schools are central to God's mission to spread his kingdom throughout the world and we want good Christian teachers in our schools. But I also think Tasmania is one of the greatest secrets of all time and I'm pretty happy having most of it to myself at this stage. So, look, I, I, I love it down here. Everything is close. That's the one thing I will leave you with. I've had a friend come down from Sydney. He lives 10 minutes away. He said he was teaching in an a city school in Sydney uh I don't know how you guys go with a phrase inner city. I get the feeling listening to some Americans that that's not a good thing. In Australia, that is a pretty good thing, right? Mm. Inner city is actually great. So, he was in an inner city uh, school and he said, if you were to be 10 minutes away from school in Sydney, you would be paying big bucks to live and you'd be living in a shoebox. Here in, in Hobart, he's got a couple of acres and he's 10 minutes from school. Mm. right so i teach in kingston which is about 10ks away from hobart everything is close we've got three beaches within a five minute drive we've got mount wellington which is a 20 minute drive we've got heaps of bushwalking if you like nature you're going to love it down here and plenty Mm. of plenty of little little safe shallow rivers for you jeremy as well (laughs) good to hear paul we uh
3: so we're Really, really excited, just first of all, just to introduce you to our listeners and to have a great conversation. But we're also really excited to talk AI. It's something we've been talking about as directors for quite a while now. And um, I only partially jest that it seems to me a little bit like, uh, well, maybe I'll make it personal that uh, when it comes to uh, AI and ChatGPT, I take the echidna rep- approach. They're burrowers, right? They, that's that's kind of their defense. So uh, yeah. I'm burrowing currently. Uh, we had to look far afield just to find someone who was excited to talk ChatGPT. Uh, no, I'm, I'm joking, it, I, but we are super pumped. But tell us a bit about this transition, maybe from year nine history to being. Well, I'm not. You're you're not leaving that behind, but obviously AI has become a really professional, a big professional focus for you. Can, can you tell us about that transition a bit?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So look. I've always been really passionate about Christian schools. As I said, I run the Christian Education Podcast. My own story is connected with Christian education. And one of my big passions, to be honest, Justin, is keeping teachers in schools because mm. I don't know what it's like up there in Canada, but the attrition rate is actually huge down here in Australia. Mm. So at the moment, recent research suggests that 70% of teachers say that their workload is unmanageable. Right. So I've done a whole bunch of thinking about that, Basically, since I became a teacher five years ago, I was working on a book two years ago and it was going to be somewhat cryptically entitled 85195. So, how do you teach in eight hours a day, five days a week, 195 days a year? No evenings, no weekends, no school holidays. How do you do that? Long story short, Justin, I abandoned the project because you actually, Mm -hmm. you just couldn't. And that's why I got excited about AI. I, don't, I didn't get excited about AI because I love technology or I love artificial intelligence. I got excited about it because I love education and I love teachers. And I think this actually, for the first time in a very long time, presents a very real benefit for teachers. If they can wrap their head around this, I really think there's huge gains to be made in terms of not only providing more tailored resources to our students and the like but just in keeping teachers in schools, which is something we really desperately need to do.
1: Tell me, so you already hinted at just a little bit of, of maybe some of the ways that practically can fit. Um, uh, what would you hope for AI? So, A, teacher lung, longevity, um, maybe even student use. tell Yeah, tell me a little bit more about what your hope for those connections would be.
0: So, I've got two big hopes, or as you Canadians would call them, two deep hopes. Uh, I would say that the first deep hope I have is that it's going to keep Christian educators in Christian schools. That's what I'm really excited for just because, again, it's an area of great passion to me and I want to see that area thrive. I think it's central to God's plan to grow his kingdom. So, uh, I really hope we see that start to pay off. But the second deep hope I have, Jeremy, is that students start to be able to receive tailored, individualised learning resources. So I don't know if you fellows have been tracking the data, but in Australia, the achievement gap, so that's the the gap between the most academically gifted person and the person who needs the most support academically, that, has been, that gap has been yawning wider and wider for many years and actually grew a lot wider during COVID. So the person who was at the sort of bottom of the class before COVID, they're actually further behind now post-COVID. So, Mm. what does that mean? Well, it means we need more what we would call differentiation. And what does that mean? It means more teacher workload, which is not that great because it's the very thing teachers were struggling before. Um, So, I am hugely hopeful that AI will allow teachers to differentiate well for their students and it will even, if we give students the agency, allow students to differentiate for for themselves and and sort of Mm. put them right back in the driver's seat with their own learning.
1: Paul, as a general rule, you're already bringing a lot of hopefulness, like deep hopes, in this. Um, and we've talked about this idea that this this has been something more so seen as scary. Um, it could be something that's going to infiltrate our schools. We got to push it. So, what are some of the struggles you're coming up against uh, as you head down into this uh, this area?
0: You're exactly right, Jeremy. A lot of people are quite scared of AI. They really are which I think is lamentable as a Christian because that's just simply not the spirit that God has given us. I don't think we should be scared of these things. But we need to we need to go back a few steps I think and and take stock. We need to understand these things theologically because if you don't understand things like AI or technology in general theologically what are you going to do? You're just going to be very reactive. You're just going to not like new things and then you'll get used to it 10 years in and uh, when everyone else has sort of adopted and it's become quite widespread and integrated, then you'll be nervous about the new thing and you'll just go through your life being pretty frustrated or pretty scared. And as I said, that's simply not God's calling for our lives. We have, uh, the scripture tells us of a big God, a God who's in control, a God who loves us and a God who actually calls us not to be uh, reactive and to be constantly shying away from new things, but to actually be proactive. I think we should be creating new things. If people don't like AI, they should get involved in the space and make sure people are using it wisely and ethically and in such a way that cares for the earth and cares for other people.
3: Paul can we maybe uh, and all of us let, maybe let's just do a quick definition of terms. Uh, so when you're using the phrase AI, I think a lot of educators and maybe me specifically is thinking chat GPT. I'm thinking about and when it comes to the fear that you're you know helping me to get beyond Paul, I'm like, I know five I know I can name 10 teachers right now who have typed in an assignment that they give to students into Chat GPT. And the answer that they got is exactly the kind of material or or work that they would love to see a student work hard at producing on their own. And so there is this this just automatic fear of um, what I ask my students to do is no longer I can no longer trust the integrity of that question. So. so I want to get there. But maybe first, are you using AI just as a synonym for chat GPT? Or, or do you need to help us understand AI in a much broader context? Because it's obviously much more um, than just one specific expression of AI.
0: Well, that's right. And to be honest with you, Justin, AI has been here for donkey's years, really. If you use Grammarly on your emails, if you've got a Netflix feed that's curated for you, if your Spotify playlists are automatically generated, that's all artificial intelligence. So people who get squeamish about these sorts of things don't realize that they've actually been at least eating some of the fruit of AI for quite some time. I'd probably, to be honest with you, do use it as a shorthand for text-based AI because that's really what I'm dealing with in schools. That's the only place I've seen it really pay out in terms of what teachers can do and what students can do. Uh, yes, there's some pretty promising software which is actually text to video coming out and text to music. The text to video stuff is insane. Write me a, or make me a 10-minute video on photosynthesis for my year 8 science students and make it at a year 10 English level, a year 7 English level and a year 5 English level covering the same content. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like, talk about tailored, yeah. differentiated resources. But in reality, I'm probably most of the time using it as a shorthand for things like a chat GPT and BARD and other tools that we might use uh, as teachers with our lesson planning, unit planning, and that students would use with their work as well.
3: Okay, super helpful. So can you then – so I – I literally sat around. I've got a family of educators. You know, this was fairly early in Chat GPT's kind of breaking into the market. And I introduced it to a couple of my family members and said, Ask me a question that you would ask on an exam. And we typed it in. I shared the answer, I read the answer, and they were just dumbfounded. And that's where I think the fear, it immediately was fear inducing, Paul, because it was mm-hmm. like, I can no longer trust that the answers I'm going to get from the students to the questions I want them to learn how to answer are theirs versus generated in t- two, two to three seconds. So can you help address that fear very specifically or maybe go go even jump th- towards strategies to why you're not afraid of that?
0: Sure. So uh, cultural critic Neil Postman, uh, you may have heard him. He was, he was a big critic of the 20th century. One of the things he talked about was how technology changes us. So we know that AI has changed our world, but it's actually worth taking a moment, Justin, and pressing into how has technology changed our world because he would differentiate, Postman would differentiate between additive change and ecological change. So additive change is where you just add one thing, right? Everything else is the same. You just add one thing. Uh, So you had a, a bookshelf. You had a bunch of books. I put one more book on. Nothing is different except for just one more book, right? He would say, no, the way technology changes the world isn't additive. It's ecological. It changes the entire environment. So a little bit of a cheeky example I have of ecological change. I was driving from one of Tasmania's major cities to the other. It's about a two-hour drive. I've got a three-year-old and an 18-month-old, and my wife is about one month away from giving birth to our third son. And my 18-month-old, Solomon, unfortunately, uh, gave himself a dirty nappy. Now, that changed the car, but again, how did it change the car? It it was not an additive change. It was not exactly the same car as before, just with one small dirty nappy. It, It was an ecological change, right? So, everything about that experience for everyone was changed all the way through, all the way down, right? So, that one small thing on one small bloke changed the entire experience for everyone. That's how AI changes the world. And, and to labour the point, Justin, it already has changed the world, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't going to change education. It actually has changed education. So, we need, to, we need to keep pace with that. If we are constantly thinking that we can try and hold on to the vestiges of how we have done things for a very long time, I, I think we'll actually, we will lose out and our students will lose out. So, we are not educating in the same world we were 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. right Th- that world is actually gone we don't have access to that anymore so we need to be thinking really long and hard about how we adapt uh, because it's it's just a brand new world we're educating in right now
1: do we so when when i hear that as a teacher i would always go oh boy now i've got more things to learn and keep up with it is it a matter of professional development is it a matter of of being curious and playing in the sandbox what, what kind of Entering into this world, do you think, is necessary for teachers to to be in, to do it well or to at least start um, doing it well?
0: To be honest, Jeremy, I think schools have been caught on the hop here. I think schools uh, have been a little slow. I really do think, look, many schools weren't ready for distance education at, during COVID, right? What did we do? Well, in, in Hobart, we shut schools down for three days and we got ready. Because we had to because the world had changed. Now, I might be being a bit radical here and I'm not a school leader. So, in many ways, I'm just playing with Monopoly money. I I I don't have to actually make these decisions. But if it were up to me, what would I do? I'd shut everything down for three days and get everyone across it. Because the change that has taken place in our schools is as big as the change during COVID and distance learning. I'm absolutely Mm. convinced. In fact, I think we'll look back and the AI revolution will be seen in the light of history as as big as COVID was. So yes, I think schools need to be actually developing uh, resources, they need to have AI policies, they need to be getting experts in, they need to be getting people to speak at their conferences, all that sort of stuff. If you've got people on staff who are passionate about it, you need to be encouraging them, maybe even giving them some time to put together resources that are specific for your schools. As Christian schools, we need to be thinking hard about the theology of this. We know that uh, Christ is Lord over all things, right? That's why you've named your podcast what you've named it. It's that age-old Kyperian quote. So what does it mean for Christ to be the Lord over generative AI in our classrooms? How do we actually functionally work that out? So yes, we need it at a school level, but I really do think, as you said, teachers should just have a bit of a muck around with it it's the sort of thing that is shaping our educational environment the more they can know about it the better i don't think you do any yourself any favors if you stick your head in the sand because everyone else a lot of other people let's say that are spending a lot of time on it and if you if you don't know how it works or how to best use it i think you're missing some opportunities to really shepherd Mm -hmm. your students well in the world that we're now living in
3: well i've kind of debating between two questions. I was, I, there's a partner that wants to keep going in here and out. By the way, I had this, I had, I have to say your, your example with your son, Solomon was cheeky. Paul, I just need to get that (laughs) in there. Uh, But so, okay. So I'm, I'm in, I want to shut down my school for three days. Uh, and I'm like, what are we going to do for three days? Um, I'm calling Paul. Uh, can you just give kind of like a, a high level, a couple really important like segments of that PD time. So muck about, I heard that. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Just like get dirty in it, play in it a little bit, start to understand it. Are, are there other things, like are there pedagogical shifts that you're you're suggesting or you've been talking differentiation? How, mm-hmm. how do you start weaving that in a little bit? Why are you, why'd you use the phrase hope? Um, get specific about, how I'm going to start practicing, hopefully, based on my PD time
0: that Paul helped design. Sure. So, I'm actually giving, in a couple of days, I'm giving a keynote address at our state conference on AI and education. And I would break up our two-day session up in Canada the same way I've broken up my keynote. So, I would do uh, a third of it. I would spend on theology and f- philosophy, simply because people might feel like, you know, you might get some pushback. Well, can't we just get stuck into it? I really think Mm -hmm. our theology and our philosophy is the most practical thing we can do. First Mm -hmm. of all, because we need to, again, we need to understand it in light of uh, God's word and God's world and the lordship of Christ. But, yeah, we also need to get into people who have been in this space for a long time, like Neil Postman, and have a think about how not just that it's changing society, but how is AI? changing society. So we do the first third, uh, theology, philosophy, stuff that I call the big picture. Mm. The next third, we talk about how you as a teacher can use AI and leverage those AI tools to actually be as efficient and effective in your practice, right? Efficient because you want to get a lot of things done quite quickly because teachers just have a lot to do, right? The way we deal with that at the moment sometimes, unfortunately, is just by not doing some of the things because we don't have the time. So, finally, we can make our workloads manageable. So how can we be as efficient as possible? But we also want to think about how we can be as effective as possible. So, it's, it's not tied to just doing our job as quickly as possible so we can get off and Darren and I can cope, go play some golf together. It, we're actually thinking about, well, how can I do my job as a teacher even better? How can I be more effective as a teacher? So, that will be the second part, teachers. And then the third part, we'd, we'd say, how are we going to get students to use this wisely. Students are using it, but let me tell you this. Most students are using it really badly, all right? right, I think we radically overestimate how good students are with technology. Mm. Th- they're really good at playing Minecraft and Roblox. They're actually not that good at much else, to be honest. So we need to do exactly what we do in every other domain, which is we need to teach and lead and guide and hold their hand as they start to get used to AI because, not to be alarmist, but if we don't do that, if we don't teach them how to u- use it, I think they're, it's really going to be quite detrimental to their education, right? If they're using AI just to do their work, well, then they're going to take a huge haircut on their education. They might come out the back end of their schooling with not a lot to show for it.
2: Yeah, I love that. It uh, makes me think of a story, I, um, just a, a brief story with my daughter who was struggling with Um, where to start. She'd done a bunch of research on an essay in university and where to start. And I said, throw in there, throw in chat, GBT, make me a table of contents for an essay on this novel. Mm. And it popped out a table of contents. She screen shared it with me. We had a quick two, three minute conversation. She was off to the races. And then later on, she was like, dad, I feel kind of like I cheated. And I was like, no, put a little asterisk at the bottom that says I use this tool to do this process when I was working on this assignment and see if the professor says anything to you at all. And it just slid right through and it was no problem. And I thought to myself, okay, there's something. So I just love how you've uh, given us a picture here, Paul. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, we're going to need to do a, a callback episode on this one as, as we go. Um, I do want to give you just a a couple minutes. Um, I know I've already put my name in as hopefully being part of the pilot. I, I'm giving you a couple minutes of shameless plug here as we, as we close this, this session. So talk to us a little bit about the, the, project, uh, you're, you're, you're getting started on.
0: Well, again, Thanks for that, Darren. That's a nice softball. I'm going to try try and swing for the fences here. So, I've been working on a project. I'm the co-founder and CEO of My Teacher Aid. So, My Teacher Aid and it's actually better to look at it than to say it out loud because the AI in aid is kind of what we were going for there. Mm. So, we believe that uh, as I said, the teaching profession is hard. It's getting harder. The red tape, the bureaucracy, they're increasing and teachers are responding to that often by leaving the workforce. So, as, you, as I've explained already, I'm incredibly excited about AI and what that is able to do in education. But he, here's the catch. A lot of teachers I talk to say, look, I've used AI and to be honest, Paul, it's pretty banal, it's pretty bland. And they're actually right. Uh, they're, they're, they're completely right at least for them, it is bland and banal for them. The real power of AI is in the prompts, all right? So AI is incredibly powerful, but if you're just using boring prompts, if you're not writing your prompts correctly, the analogy I use is it's like being in a Lamborghini but being stuck in first gear, right? You, you actually can't access the power. That's why I've been working on for teachers an AI that is specifically trained to To give them the best possible results with minimal input from them so a few bits of information and the click of the button with our teacher specific ai will get them world-class results right so i've i've been working with my co-founder he's been working on a lesson planning prompt sequence for two weeks straight all right so that's very he's currently up to 1700 words fellas that's the Mm -hmm. training prompt that we are running through our ai over and over again that is a world of difference. So what does that mean? It means if you're a school, you can give your teachers access to myteacheraid.com. where We're pre-pilot at the moment. Darren, I'm going to personally make sure you do get into that pilot <laughs> program. Uh, we're pre-pilot. We'll be launching the pilot in September. But what this is going to do is it's going to allow every teacher to leverage AI to help themselves and to serve their students better because at the moment if it was just chat gpt this is my contention if it was just chat gpt there's going to be a lot of lot of teachers out there who go no i don't like computers i've barely got a hold of my emails i don't want more tech in my life and sadly gentlemen they're the people that need the most help they're the people that need to be more effective and more efficient than ever so that's why we have a teacher specific ai in my teacher aid to get those people, the people who are tech hesitant, to get them getting fantastic results at the click of a button. So that's what we're working on. You can apply to be part of the pilot program at My Teacher Aid, and I don't know how you spell it over there, but we spell it aid, A-I-D-E. So myteacheraid.com, and I'll personally make sure, gentlemen, anyone from the Canadian Christian school scene makes it into the pilot. Love that. Thanks a lot, Paul.
1: That is awesome. Thank you so much, Paul, for uh, sharing not only your teaching journey, but even kind of your your next steps and things you're interested in. We're going to transition into something we call our Celebration of Learners. <music> to be inducted into the esteemed every square centimeter Celebration of Learners gallery, you need to host our podcast, as Paul has, share a bit of their, your journey and have at least one person write some nice things about you. And today... Uh, I think this is a first, Darren, Justin, can you confirm a first that we have a dad that Mm -hmm. has filled that letter in? Uh, So from Simon Matthews, the executive principal at Cairo Christian School. Darren, I think you have the letter.
2: Yes, I do. I went out on a limb here. Uh, Simon is a friend of mine and I, yes, I just couldn't resist asking him rather than uh, someone from Paul's school. So I hope you're okay with that, Paul, but here is a letter from your dad. Dear Paul, what a delight to be able to write to you as father, brother, and colleague. There is no doubt that the greatest joy I get from seeing the work of God in your life is observing how God is forming you as a believer, husband, and dad. To see the grace of God in allowing you to be all three of those is simply stunning. I am so thankful. But perhaps the most special delight is seeing how God is using you in two particular areas, areas that are so close to my heart. Firstly, You and LB are taking seriously the task of raising your children to know and love God. As you do in all your life and have always done, once you make a commitment, you follow it with everything in you. I can see this in the way you are teaching and training your sons. Whilst you will know blessings because you are seeking to obey God, you will also know untold blessings as you experience and enjoy the fruit of this work. I now have sons who stand beside me in singing praises to God. Pray for me with praise and petition. Inspire me with their boldness to share the good news of what God has done for all creation through Jesus. Serve Christ's body, the church. Paul, may you too come to know the deep joy that comes from seeing your own children know and love and serve the Lord. Secondly, though, you are demonstrating a passionate commitment for parent-governed education. This is not something I could have predicted, but it is something I witness with much humility and thankfulness. Your commitment as a parent to participate in partnership with a Christian school community is fabulous, but even more special is your willingness to put your shoulder to the wheel as a teacher and leader within such a school. With your typical energy and effort, you have always demonstrated those qualities. You are also seeking to inspire and energize your fellow workers through your writing and speaking. This is especially exciting and honorable. Well done. Paul, keep up the work in the service of the Lord and of your profession. It is noble work, and I trust fruitful. It is a joy to be your father, brother, and colleague, Dad.
0: Wow. What do you you say to that, gentlemen? (laughs) Dad is an extraordinary man. I'm a big believer in that every generation should capitalize on the work of the previous generation, right? So I I use the analogy of a snow-covered hill. One generation goes down in the toboggan. The next generation goes down the same track, but because it's been smoothed by their forebears, they can go further. And that's uh, like no word of a lie. That's all I'm trying to do with my whole life. I'm trying to replicate my dad's entire life. I want to have four (laughs) boys. I want to teach in a Christian school. I want to be passionate about Christian education. All I am trying to do is replicate my dad's life. And if I somehow, by God's grace, manage to do that, Uh, no one would be happier or more grateful than me so no look he's been an amazing role model and I thank God for him every day well
1: that's beautiful and uh, thank you also uh, Simon for uh, submitting that Uh, Paul is there any way people can connect with you Uh, I think you have a few different ways you want to just let uh, the listeners know
0: Absolutely. So we talked earlier about the AI for teachers I'm developing. You can apply for the pilot at myteacheraid.com. What you can also do is head to uh, Facebook. No, you probably don't want to go to Facebook actually now that I think about it. You probably want to go to Twitter. So I'm at Paul Matthews and you've got to catch this, the L is actually the number one. Same for LinkedIn and you can email me also at myteacheraid, uh, paul at myteacheraid.com. Awesome.
1: Listeners, we would love your involvement in our podcast. So email us at everysquarecentimeter at gmail.com. Send us your feedback. Tell us about an educator near far that we should celebrate or tell us about your own Australian adventures. But before we go today, Paul, thank you so much for hosting our mob. It's tradition that we ask the group, what animal forms a mob? So a group, what a, group of animals form a mob? Darren is nodding confidently. So... I am going to go to Justin first. <laughs>
3: <laughs> of course, Darren's nodding confidently. Okay, uh, well, I inspired by uh, the Australian bracket. I, I, so I've been to Darwin, uh, which was an amazing gift, uh, and an incredible place to be. So the opposite tip from from Paul and. Saw a, a, an amazing sight of flying foxes. Actually, it was phenomenal. Kind of coming uh, out in their evening from an into their mm-hmm. evening activity, and I'm I don't know I like on a more morbid level. Uh, like I'm thinking like vampire bites and and uh, like zombie mobs ro- roaming because of uh, flying fox bites. So I'm going flying foxes. Wow, Darren. Well, and I've heard it used for. By Australians
2: for any group of animals, personally, like a mob of horses and a mob. But I think officially kangaroos are in a mob. That's what I was okay. hoping to go with.
1: Okay. Paul, do you have a, a guess you're nodding your head? You like that?
0: Well, fellas, I gotta tell you, I feel like I've let myself down in a huge way. One of my my eldest son Moses' his favorite book at the moment is "A Thousand and One Collective Nouns for Animals." So I have read this. <laughs> I have read it a thousand times over, <laughs> and I'm completely blanking. So I'm re- I have let myself down. I'm going to go with emus, mate. I'm going to go with emus, and we'll see okay. how we go.
1: Well, here's the thing. Uh, uh, generally. It refers to more than what they're, you know, uh, we've herds. Uh, a bunch of animals are herds. So mobs is similar. And Darren I've uh, has hit the head, nail on the head with this because it can be a mob of kangaroos. Uh, but I was actually looking at a mob of wombats. Mm-hmm. So wombats could be a mob as well. So a common wombat is the largest burrowing herbivorous, herbivorous mammal. Herb- I'm going to mess that up again. <laughs> hey? Justin's looking at me like you.
3: <laughs> no, it's good. Carnivorous. It- Herbivorous, Herbivorous. yeah. Yeah, Let's go with it. Keep going.
1: Okay. (laughs) Indeed, it is such an accomplished burrower that early settlers called it a badger. Okay, a term that is still heard today. However, the closest relative is not a badger; it's the koala. Here's my question. Okay, it's quite usually quite random. Educators have a look. Right? Have you guys ever you know been drive? You've been looking for a conference, and you're a few blocks away, and you start to go, "Oh, I must be getting close because the people walking down the sidewalk look like teachers, educators." Okay, so uh, I want to know, if you weren't an educator, okay, if you're walking down the street, what do you think people might think you are? Okay, what do you think they might think you do? If you weren't an educator and someone saw you. So I'll give you time to think about, for example, I started off my career as a phys ed, doing quite a bit of phys ed stuff, and I like to be quite active. So I would wear track pants and then a golf shirt. So people, like it was... It was a little bit of an odd look. I tried to look a little bit like I was professional <laughs> up top, but wearing track pants in the bottom. And I've actually have returned to that because I now I'm on Zoom so often. I wear a, a, a golf shirt or, or button-up shirt up top and you know shorts or, or track pants in the bottom. So basically, if someone saw me, I think I'd look like the uncle off of Napoleon Dynamite, the washed-up athlete. That's probably who I would be, <laughs> telling stories about you know, my athletic endeavors back when I was young. Uh, Darren, who you get who who are you if people see you?
2: i'm I'm going between two things because it's summer here and I spend a lot of time in the garden and I'm trying to decide unemployed or <laughs> or gardener. I think yeah. either one of those two would be oh, where I'd be right now
3: yeah, good. Uh, Justin yeah, I so this is a toughie Jeremy. Um, yeah, I would say that probably for about 20 years too long, I have been thinking chords are still a, a fantastic fashion choice. Um, so I'm going to go with like an out, out of style hippie. Yeah.
1: I, I haven't heard chords for a while. That is. I hear they're coming that is back. A
3: good, Yeah. They probably <laughs> well, have good, to cause be. Cause I, I still got a couple of kicking around. <laughs> them right, Paul, uh, what do you think?
0: Oh, look, this is a real curly question, Jeremy. I'm going to go with, <laughs> I, I could be wrong, but I think if someone saw me on the street, no context and I can't choose teacher, I'm going to go with either a very cheap or very expensive lawyer. You know, yeah. so you, know, you got the, the, the middle the middle bracket of lawyers are always dressed up really well. The really cheap yeah. guys and the really expensive <laughs> guys they take yeah. a few more liberties. So that's where I'll go.
1: Nice. Okay. Uh, be- before we go, can you explain curly? So curly question. Tell me what that means.
0: Oh uh, yeah, that's probably a, a little colloquialism from down here in Hobart. It just means tricky.
1: Yeah. Okay. Curly. I like it. I like it. Uh, Darren. Uh, hey. Pastor, priest, Dar- like you always come up with these blessings, Darren. Maybe that could be uh, your alternate true. Uh, career. Sure.
2: Thank you. Um, so I thought it'd be only suiting that I asked an AI to write me a
1: blessing today. Um, so <laughs> well, our, I know where our sermons are coming. On <laughs> our next
2: podcast, we could have a conversation about the ethics of this. But this is uh, this is what came out, and I was okay. pleasantly surprised. So. I actually asked for a blessing, a Christian blessing that incorporates education and AI. So that was my okay. prompt. Okay. And so here it is. And I, um, it's a little bit longer, but I asked for a shorter version and it was not adequate. So then um, we're <laughs> going to go with this. Um, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and may his boundless wisdom guide you as you embark on the journey of education where the wonders of AI unfold before your eager mind. In this realm of learning, may you find inspiration to explore the marvels of artificial intelligence, discovering its intricate design and its potential to enhance our lives and the world around us. May you be blessed with understanding and discernment as you seek to wield this powerful tool for the betterment of humanity and to glorify God and his creation. May your heart be filled with compassion and empathy, knowing that the pursuit of knowledge is not merely for personal gain, but to serve others showing love and kindness to all whom you encounter. May your studies be infused with the light of Christ, illuminating your path and illuminating the path of those you touch with your wisdom. As you delve into the mysteries of AI, may you always remember that true wisdom comes from above and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Let your pursuit of understanding be grounded in humility and reverence for God, acknowledging that all knowledge and breakthroughs are ultimately gifts from the divine, In your education, may you be surrounded by mentors and peers who support and challenge you, pushing you to reach your fullest potential. May you be a beacon of hope, showcasing the integration of faith and intellect in the pursuit of truth and wisdom. May the God of wisdom guide your steps, the Holy Spirit ignite your creativity, and may the love of Christ compel you to use your knowledge of AI for the good of all and the glory of God. Amen. Amen.
1: Stay encouraged, educators.
0: We want to thank Christian Schools Canada for sponsoring the podcast. Please know that the views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CSC, the schools of our guest, or any of our three regional organizations. Thanks for listening.